Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A free exchange of ideas. Mojo Five O. I have a dream. One day, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creeds. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Black men thinking. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. Black men thinking. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it's made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Black men thinking. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Black men thinking. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking, thinking, thinking. Stanley Levy, Black Men Thinking, here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 50 Radio. Happy Labor Day to everyone. And um, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, first um, Monday, um, which actually means the uh, first Friday of the month occurred last week, and that meant the business report, excuse me, not business report, the uh, jobs report for the month prior. So the August jobs report came out, and Fox Business News had this summation uh, speaking with the labor secretary. 35,000 jobs added in August, and we've been talking about it all morning, sharply missing the estimates. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh joins me now. We've got 10 million job openings, Secretary. Good to see you this morning. So a, a lot of folks on Wall Street are wondering why this number came in so low. 
I mean, there's, there's probably lots of reasons for it. I think, number one, uh, you just mentioned about the hospitality number. For the last three months, those numbers have been leading the way in significant ways. Uh, this month, uh, we have really had no growth at all. Uh, I think we can tie some of it to the Delta variant uh, in some places as far as people not going out to eat as much and, and, and not working in those industries as much. Uh, but certainly, th there's still there's positive signs here. The, the economy is recovering. We are adding jobs. We have more work to do. Uh, the forecast was off in a big way, but also the forecast was off in a big way last month as well the other way. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, over the last three months, we're averaging still 750,000 jobs. And since President Biden has taken office, 4.5 4 million jobs have been added to the economy. Our unemployment rate did drop from 5.4 percent to 5.2 percent yeah. uh, in this report as well. All right. Well, some jobs certainly better than no jobs. And you're right. We saw a very strong uh, July report the last time that you and I spoke. But the bottom line here, when I see this kind of anemic job creation, is that the economy is slowing. And you mentioned that that unemployment rate dipped to 5.2%. Um, the headline looks good there, but a lot of folks don't actually understand the calculation. It just means less people are looking for work. That's not a positive sign as we're heading into the fall and we wanted to see this reopening really gain some steam. We've also seen unemployment claims down the highest in the last 18 months, so that shows you, and that's a sign right there. Uh, and we are seeing growth here. I mean, there's no question about it. And I would not calculate this as, as the, uh, or describe this as the economy slowing down. I would describe this as we continue being consistently moving forward. You know, a year ago, last February, 18 months ago, 19 months ago, uh, we were hit with a global pandemic in the United States of America. There's no playbook, or there's no, no nothing to look back on history to see how to come out of this. And, and we just got to continue to move forward one step at a time, continue to make sure that people are safe, follow the CDC guidelines, take care of themselves, get, get vaccinated. But also, you know, if, if the more people that get vaccinated, I think it's important to understand here, if we don't bring back our companies and don't strengthen our companies as we move forward here, they can't hire people. So we need to make sure that we provide them with the, with the supports as well so we can open our, continue to open our economy. I hear you. And we'll talk about the Delta variant in just one moment. But I just want to ask you how you characterize the economy as moving forward. When you look at wage growth, that's six-tenths of a percent, and you see core inflation, CPI inflation, 5.4%. If the wages are not moving in pace with the inflation, which you're probably going to say is transitory, but a lot of people don't believe that. Well, well, it is, and number one, and it's good to see wage growth. And, and I guess when I say the economy is moving forward, uh, from, from January 21st of this year through today, 4.5 million people are back into the job market. Uh, our unemployment claims are the lowest in 18 months. Uh, we're moving forward in our country. Uh, and, and I think we, we still have ways to go, though. I'm, I'm, I don't want to paint a, a positive, rosy picture here. We still obviously have a ways to go. I, mean, I would love to be sitting here today saying we added you know, millions and millions of jobs. But th that will come as, as we continue to move forward, as long as we continue to take care of each other as we continue to, to, to offer the supports we need to, to continue to reopen our economy. Last time we spoke, sir, we also talked about the boosted unemployment benefits. Those are set to expire. You essentially told me that there was no impact there, that that wasn't keeping people from participating in, in looking for jobs. Your thoughts as we shift, we move past Labor Day, are we going to see an uptick when those permanently expire? Well, when, when, you, when we talked last month, we, we, we only had, I think, about a week or so of data to look at the information. So we've been able to look at that, and we saw no increase in, in, in labor participation in those states that ended unemployment benefits. But I think what's happening right now, what's going to happen right now, last week and this week and next week, school starts. We're going to have an opportunity to get more people back into the job market where kids will be in school as long as we continue to keep this Delta variant under control. I think we're going to, hopefully we're going to see more participation in the job market. There, there are jobs that are unfilled. There are companies looking to
to hire people. So we just need to make sure we're partnering people up. We also we have our own American Jobs Centers in, 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 this, in the federal government, and we've been pushing for the last week or so, using those American Job Centers as a place for Americans to go to get connected to jobs. So anyone watching today, mm -hmm. if you don't know what to do, you're like, where do, I, where do I find a job? I want to change careers. Go to an American Job Center in your neighborhood. We're there. We're ready to go. We're ready to help you. Ready to connect you to jobs. All right. Final sir, a question, sir, if I may. Um, the labor participation rate, 61.7%. What I'm hearing for you is basically that the forecast, this was stagnant month on month here. But going into September, when we you know, are, are looking at that number, are we going to see an improvement? I mean, the answer is hopeful. I mean, hopefully. I mean, I, I don't put much credence right at this point in, in the projections for what jobs are going to be because the last several months have been, have been missed. Uh, I'm not criticizing anyone. I just want to make sure we're doing everything we can to lay down a foundation here in the United States of America to get as many Americans back to work as possible. Businesses need them. Workers need to go to work. That's what we need to do here. Well, if participation doesn't increase, then that actually is a very bleak forecast, sir. Well, well let's, let's see what happens. Hopefully next month when I'm sitting here, we're having a whole different conversation. I hope so. I hope you're right. Good to see you. Labor Secretary yeah, Marty you. Walsh, we really appreciate it. Happy Labor Day. You too. If you've not seen the reports, it's pretty bleak. Um, the 235,000 non-farm payroll um, increase, jobs increase, was less than a third of what was expected. The number of expected was somewhere between 720 up to 733,000. You got 235,000. The workforce participation number, which is already at historic lows, just bleak, it's abysmal. Uh, it's lower now than it even was during uh, during Obama. 61.7%, which is hideous. It was supposed to go up to 61.8%. It stayed flat. No job growth in leisure and hospitality uh, sector of the economy. No, no net job growth there. And the media and the administration continue to try to blame COVID. Well, you know what? That's interesting to me because I do recall that Jim Jordan, in speaking with the Federal, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Powell back in June, had a much more reasonable explanation as for why job numbers are not going up. Uh, the chair now recognizes Mr. Jordan for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, Chairman Powell, the, the Fed has two mandates, right? Maximum employment and stable prices. Maximum employment and stable prices. Seems like both have got both got some problems today. Um, I want to spend a little time on on, on the first. Uh, why are the jobs numbers so bad right now? Well, I think we're digging out of a very deep hole. We've made a lot of progress, but I would agree with you. We have a long way to go. Over yeah. nine million job openings over the past two months. Only eight hundred thousand jobs added back. That's pretty bad. Well, you, is there a specific reason you point to as why those numbers aren't where we would frankly hope they would be? You know, uh, it's a good question, and, and um, uh, my thinking is that there are some t temporary factors that are weighing on job creation, uh, and I mentioned those earlier. Another thing is actually actual hiring is at very high levels, but it's being offset by high levels of quits and retirements. So the net, what's happening is that the net job creation has been lower, but actual hiring is high. And that's, in a sense, quits is a good thing because people are looking for, for jobs that they want more. Retirements are just... Uh, something that happens. What about the, what about unemployment benefits? Is that, is that factor in as well? It, it may be a factor, you know, and it'll be a temporary one because um, something like 15 million people will see either those benefits disappear or significantly decrease. My, my understanding is the state and plus the state unemployment plus the federal enhancements, $37,000 a year. Might that discourage people from going back to work? You know, we're going to find out. Uh, we're we're going to find think, out because it's going to be gone really quickly. I, th well, I, I think I, we I, are finding out. Um, you add in the stimulus package, 
child tax credit, the family affords about $110,000. I mean, every single employer, literally every single employer I talk to in our district, and frankly, folks, I, employers I talk to around the country tell me they can't find people to work. And you think it's more of quitting in retirements, or is it more unemployment or a combination, or what is it? I think it's, it, in terms of things that are weighing on, on people getting in the labor force, I think it's those three things I mentioned. It's, it's still some people are still afraid of COVID. Maybe they're living with someone who's vulnerable. It's also schools are closed still, and, and having schools be open again will free up a lot of caretakers. I think unemployment benefits, too. I think if we, you, know, you would expect a significant a really strong uh, set, of, set of jobs numbers coming up beginning in the next month. Didn't you, expect higher numbers in, didn't you expect higher numbers in April and May? Yeah, we did. Which, I mean, it sort of surprised me. I, I, I guess when you pay people not to work, you shouldn't be surprised when you don't have workers. Um, I've never seen a situation like this where we now have, as, as the ranking member mentioned, we now have several governors, 25, I believe, who've turned back. We said we don't want the federal enhancement to unemployment. I've never seen that. I've been in politics 26 years. I've never seen governors turn down federal money. Um, so I think, I think that just underscores how serious the problem is. But you said you think it, you think it changes soon? Well, we, we know that these benefits run out on the federal ones. What if the Democrats renew them, which they're talking about doing? Excuse me? What if the Democrats renew them? That'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Again, I don't comment on uh, legislation. No, I'm, I, but you said you expect it to run out and that will help. I'm asking you, that's not what Democrats are saying. They're talking about renewing them. And if so, if it helps, if they, if they run out, if they renew them, won't that hurt? Well, these are, these are judgments for people who stand for No, I'm election. just following your logic. You said if it runs out, that will help the employment situation. I mean, I, I got employers. I think, I think we'll see strong job creation in the, uh, in the fall. I really do. Uh, and I, I think there are all these, as you point out, 9.3 million job openings, many millions of people unemployed. There seems to be some kind of a speed limit. It, it may just be that it's hard to match up with a new job, and people feel like they can wait a little bit longer and, and, and really shop carefully. It seems to me, Chairman, and again, I know you don't talk, you're not going to comment on policies, but I don't know if the Democrats are doing anything right. They kept the economy locked down. They're spending money like crazy, proposing more, you know, I think a $6 trillion budget the, the White House is proposing, all causing inflation. Inflation went up the last four months, continues to increase. As I said, you got two mandates at the Fed, stable employment, low inflation. We got unstable employment. We got high inflation. And now they're uh, paying people not to work, and that may continue. Um, and then finally, on top of all that, they're thinking about raising taxes. I mean, I, this is amazing to me. First, you pay people not to work, and then the folks who are working, you're going to raise their taxes, and somehow they think that's going to help our economy, when, as I said now a couple times, every single employer I talk to tells me they can't find people to work. What do you think about all these policy ideas from the Democrats? I, again, it's not my job. No, but your job is stable employment and, and low inflation. Right now, we have 9 million job openings and inflation that's went up five months in a row. So something has to give. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily blaming you. I'm, I'm blaming the Democrat policies. And it seems to me the idea that they're going to extend the federal enhancement makes absolutely no sense. The idea they're going to raise taxes on hardworking Americans makes absolutely no sense. And the idea they're going to spend $6 trillion also makes absolutely no sense. So as I said, it seems to me they are doing everything wrong, making your job that much harder. With that, Mr. Chairman, I yield back. It's a good thing. So the federal government is paying families of four as much as $100,000 annually not to work. And you wonder why there is a slowness or whether, wondering whether or, or why employers are having a hard time finding workers. I don't, I don't see why that would be hard. I don't think it has anything to do with COVID. It doesn't have anything to do with COVID. From a worker uh, motivation standpoint, it has everything to do with COVID from a government um, interference standpoint. The government is paying people not to work, and they are saying the reason is, well, let's talk about the, um, the 
some of the uh, programs they have going on. The pandemic unemployment um, assistance. They have pandemic emergency unemployment compensation. They have extended benefits. They have a $300 federal uh, pandemic unemployment compensation package, a $100 mixed earner unemployment compensation. These are just the programs that are scheduled to expire um, or should, well, they were scheduled to expire on the 5th of September, so they should be done by now. There's nothing keeping Congress from trying to resurrect these and push back on more, even though governors, 25 governors, half of the United States is telling Congress, don't send any more money. I guarantee you those are more than likely, uh, more, more likely to be red states rather than blue states. Democrats want this money to flow because they know what it's going to do to the economy. It's going to devastate the economy because people not working means your economy is not necessarily just sick. It is failing and cannot survive. And that's the whole goal. It's got nothing to do with the pandemic. It has everything to do with the government's reaction to the pandemic or their reaction in using the quote-unquote pandemic as an excuse. So guess what? They did say unemployment uh, ticked down, but remember, we're talking about 9 million jobs unfilled, and that was this was back in June of uh, 2021. This was that, that conversation with Jim Jordan and Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve happened back in June. That was just two and a half months ago. And we're here now. And yes, unemployment ticked down with this latest report uh, going from uh, 5.4 to 5.2, but that's a trick of accounting because the headline unemployment number does not count what is known as discouraged workers. And that's just people who have been unemployed so long that they stopped looking for work. They're out of unemployment benefits. They just have stopped and they're no longer counted. They're still unemployed. You can argue that they would like to be employed, but there comes a point when, you know what, this isn't working, so I'm stopped. And as far as the government is concerned, we're just not going to count you because they don't, we don't, they don't want their numbers to look bad. But it's worse than they're telling you. A 61.7% workforce participation rate is abysmal. And that's not, despite what the Labor Secretary uh, says, that's not signs of an expanding economy. The economy is not expanding. Well, we're hiring hundreds of thousands. You were millions in the hole. You were supposed to have 700,000 jobs this month that we're supposed to get, we're supposed to have hiring for. There's no hiring. You got less than a third of the number. This is terrible. There's really no other way to describe it aside from saying that it is terrible. What about wage growth? Wage growth is up. Yes, true. If you go look at the um, the BLS Bureau of Labor Standards um, website, you can see that wages, both hourly wages and weekly wages, average are up 4.27% from this time last year. That is outstanding. The problem is inflation is up 5.4% in the last year. You're not keeping pace with inflation. This is not what was going on during the prior administration where wages outpaced inflation. Both the numbers were lower. I think you had maybe like three, 
less than 4% wage growth, but you had less than 2% inflation. So you were actually getting ahead. Now you're making, well, I'm making more money now than I made under Trump, but you're falling further behind because prices are going up higher because of what the government is doing. There's nothing good in this jobs report. Nothing. Not for the American people or for their republic. Work is being killed. They're doing what they can to kill it. Well, you know, the unemployment uh, assistance is going to stop. No, unemployment's not going to stop. These special programs are going to be discontinued. But that's not a stoppage of unemployment. There's still unemployment. It's still out there. Unless people go to work, it doesn't matter. And guess what? If you keep having these arbitrary mandates and lockdowns over this phantom menace that you have bought into called coronavirus, you're going to keep people out with the most powerful incentive of all. You've scared them into not working and you've paid them to assuage their fear. And it's not just the stuff that we look at. We're looking at, well, what's going on with jobs? What's going on with jobs? But you haven't, have you forgotten that the, um, the different mandates that we've seen, the mask mandates, the vaccine mandates, the, the you know, uh, social distance mandates, the occupancy mandates, all of these things that have affected mom and pop shops all the way to you know, gyms and restaurants, churches even, they've devastated small business, which is the real engine of the American economy always has been and when I talk about mandates let's talk about one real arbitrary mandate and it's very real impact and that is the CDC mandate who votes for the CDC again don't know but they of course got a an eviction moratorium in place and have you ever asked yourself how is that affecting those who have a business model as a small landlord Thousands of Arizonans at risk of getting kicked out of their homes are safe, at least for now. The CDC extended the eviction moratorium until October. But as rent piles up, many landlords are still stuck with bills and no access to federal help. Yet our Emma Lockhart has more on how Valley landlords are feeling the impact tonight. Emma? Well, Jared, that extension is really a saving grace for so many renters. But on the flip side, landlords are frustrated. I spoke with one landlord who says his tenants owe him tens of thousands of dollars, and he is now losing hope he will see any of that money. And we can't keep kicking this can down the road. Courtney Gilstrap-Lavinas with the Arizona Multi-Housing Association represents property owners across the state. She says many are fed up. While renters are protected, some landlords are racking up debt. They're paying for all of these expenses, yet they don't have any income and they don't have any federal assistance. Jay Sharma is one of those landlords. He lives in Texas but owns two apartment complexes in Mesa. We are also human. We want to help our tenants. While he doesn't want to kick them out, he is losing thousands of dollars every month. Sharma says about 5% of his tenants aren't paying rent. He's still on hook to pay all our expenses our uh, payroll, our you know, utilities, and all those things, your, your property tax, insurance. 
According to AMA, landlords lost roughly $500 million in unpaid rent since the start of the pandemic. We need to do a better job getting money deployed. Gilstrap Lavinus blames lagging rent relief. This year alone, state and local agencies got $920 million of emergency rental assistance. Only 9% has been distributed. This money has got to move move faster. Um, Renters who are affected by COVID, and there are renters that are still affected by COVID, need to get this assistance. And the, you know, the rental property owner who's left holding the bag um, needs to get paid. Now, Gilstrap Lavina says a lot of landlords are actually selling their properties and getting out of the rental business altogether because they can't afford it. Meanwhile, some rental assistance is still available. For more information on how to apply, we have a link online at azfamily.com. Jared. Emma, we keep hearing about the, the price of rent in general is going up. It's been going up. Is there any evidence that the eviction moratorium might also impact the rental market? Well, the landlord I spoke with, as well as the AMA, says that the eviction moratorium is driving more landlords to increase those rent prices Mm. because of the money they are losing right now. Well, I think, as you said, the best case scenario is we get that federal help, which is out there and available, into the right hands as soon as possible. Emma Lockhart, live for us tonight. Emma, thanks so much. $500 $500 million in unpaid rent, $920 million in rental assistance from the government, of which only 9% has been distributed. And the media dutifully um, going to the government save us line says, well, the best scenario is to get that money uh, distributed. No, the best scenario is to evict people and put in folks who will pay and restore the ethic that, hey, I'm providing a space. I'm doing a good turn for you. Pay me. Because rental assistance should have never gone to the renter anyway, because the idea is we're trying to help you pay your bills. It doesn't go to the renter when it's Section 8. All you've done is create another Section 8 situation. The whole point has been to destroy small business, all small business, to have, and also to have the American worker finance his own paradigm shift away from working and also finance his own ruin. Whose money are they using here? What they don't borrow is yours. You need to fight back as best you can, and I suggest you do it very soon. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking, will be back right after this. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. Brother Maynard, bring up the holy hand grenade. One, two, five. Freezer. Three. This is Defenders Live.
Oakley, who's 33 years old, she's a yoga teacher from Newton Kent. Drinking her own urine has uh, given her relief from a number of long-term side effects and issues, such as autoimmune disorder, Hashimoto's thyroid disease, and chronic pain conditions from fibromyalgia. You know what else it's kept her from having? What? Friends. Yeah. Uh, uh, probably a love Good life. breath. She tells the press that she started drinking her own pee when some uh, when some people call urine therapy. No, you need therapy. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. out this first hour and um, I'm going to talk about a few things uh, in this segment. First up is I blame Negroes K-N-E-E hyphen G-R-O-W-S for the Joe Biden presidency. This is their fault. I, I know what they're going to say. Well, you know, 81 million. No, you understand this. Donald Trump was going to have an engineered loss in the 2020 election no matter who the Democrats put up. Because remember, the margin is not of people who voted for Biden. It is of people, well, we don't even know if they were living. We don't know if they ever existed. We don't know if they were um, illegals. We don't know if they were of age. When you look at the people who are put up for Biden and then of course now we have all the audit activity that shows that the that the counting of ballots was so fraudulent and fraught with irregularities we don't know how many votes Biden got at all they literally could have put Kamala Harris up there and probably got the exact same result once you understand what they did however We got Biden for a very simple reason. Blacks insisted that we were going to get Biden. Let me give you um, my reasons for saying that. If you might recall, during the primary, Joe Biden was trashed. He was, nobody wants this guy. He's old, he's white. We're trying to look for diversity and progressivism. And Joe Biden is wed to the past and his campaign was going nowhere. When the New York Times points to problems in Joe Biden's campaign, you know that campaign is in trouble. The Times headline, the many ways that Joe Biden trips over his own tongue, well, the writer lists a series of gaffes which keep on coming, even though he's had six months of campaigning to sharpen up. The Times quotes a leading Iowa Democrat, quote, he comes across like he's stumbling around trying to figure out what he's going to say. That in the New York Times of all places. More bad news. New polling shows Biden's lead over Trump in head-to-head matchups is narrowing sharply. Not good for the Biden camp. He's supposed to be the one who will beat him, Trump, like a drum. Sounds like 
like an empty boast now that his early big lead has crumbled. That's not his only polling problem. In Iowa, the civics poll of likely caucus goers puts him in fourth place. And when it comes to raising money, he's in deep trouble, trailing Warren, Sanders and Mayor Pete. It takes money to campaign effectively these days, and Joe ain't reeling it in. Joe Biden is facing a crisis, and by extension, so is the moderate wing of the Democrat Party, as he fades the socialist power ahead. Watch today's impeachment process vote. Moderate Democrats are, shall we say, conflicted. New Jersey's Jeff Andrew, Oklahoma's Kendra Horn, South Carolina's Joe Cunningham, North New York's Anthony Brindisi, Minnesota's Colin Peterson, all elected in districts Mr. Trump won in 2016. The crisis in the moderate camp puts them in a corner, just like Joe Biden. It's crunch time. The angry left has taken over the Democrat Party and the socialists have taken over the presidential campaign. And the second hour of Varney and Company is about to begin. That, that was from October of 2019. No money. His apparent mental decline was already before everybody. All this was going up and the whole idea, you don't get it. Trump was not supposed to win. Hillary was supposed to win in 2016. They had everything set up for her to win. The American people simply did not go along. And in 2020, there was no way they were going to let Trump get a second term. It really didn't matter who was going to be up there, but their preference was to have somebody much more radical than the Joe Biden they understood. Of course, they obviously didn't factor in the dementia that we're currently seeing. And Joe Biden's about as, um, well, he's not as progressive, openly progressive as some others who ran. But a whole lot of the people who ran against him who were considered more progressive are now in his candidate, are now either still in, still in office in the Senate or they're part of his cabinet, Buttigieg and Kamala Harris, uh, you know, to, to name two. This was never about whether or not Biden, we wanted somebody who was going to beat Trump. We wanted somebody who was going to be more radical because we had a, an Obama third term to accomplish and we need somebody there. Joe Biden was not the guy. This was in October of 2019. The media was against him. The donors were against him. Uh, Democrat leaders in at, in certain key states like Iowa were like, this ain't the guy. What turned it around? Black folks. Simple as that. Joe Biden was a sinking ship. Joe Biden made the... Joe Biden made the Titan, was making the Titanic look like the Goodyear blimp. I mean, just airborne because he sucked so badly. However, you got to South Carolina and the miracle happened. Former Vice President Joe Biden has touted his position in South Carolina since the launch of his campaign. And Saturday, he proved it. Just days ago, the press and the pundits have declared this candidacy dead. Now, thanks to all of you, the heart of the Democratic Party, we just won and we've won big because of you. 
Biden's commanding victory coming in large part from overwhelming support from black voters. The state Democratic Party chair citing the former vice president's decades-long ties to, to South Carolina. That the Democrats and uh, suburban white voters and African Americans in our state voted pragmatically and strategically with their head. By the time Biden had claimed victory, his opponents had already shifted their efforts to Super Tuesday states. Senator Bernie Sanders finished second in South Carolina while packing crowds in Massachusetts and Virginia. There are a lot of states in this country. Nobody wins them all. I want to congratulate Joe Biden on his victory tonight. And now we enter Super Tuesday at Virginia. And other down-ballot candidates leaving the Palmetto State still hopeful they can find momentum before it's too late. We are going to stun the world. We are going to be going into the Super Tuesday states of a state like Colorado or a state like Virginia strong. But not every campaign is moving on to Super Tuesday. Billionaire businessman Tom Steyer had his strongest finish yet in South Carolina, but ended his campaign Saturday night. By Tuesday, 40% of the delegates in this race will have been awarded. Biden is now up there with Senator Bernie Sanders in the current delegate rankings, but Sanders is leading in several key Super Tuesday states. Trevor Alt, ABC News, Columbia, South Carolina. So the black folks in South Carolina, uh, the K-N-E-E-G-R-O-W-S folks that I'm always speaking of, the same people, um, literally, who Malcolm X called political chumps and traitors to their race back in the 1960s came through for Joe Biden, who's arguably the most uh, racist Democrat to have sought the presidency in the last uh, 50 years. So, okay. And a campaign that was dead was resurrected. Even kicking a few people out and marginalizing a bunch of the more radical people. The only person it didn't kick out, really, uh, was Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders would survive. But that was in February, uh, I think late February of 2020, ahead of the first uh, Super Tuesday. And then Super Tuesday happened, and it got even worse. This political analyst Clancy Dubos joining us now. I mean, they're calling it Joe-mentum tonight. Now, some people are saying this is sort of like a political comeback for Joe Biden on Super Tuesday. It is. You know, a, a generation and a half ago, Bill Clinton was the comeback kid. I guess that makes Joe Biden the comeback codger. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but it's uh, a couple of things to know. Joe Biden is the big winner tonight so far, but we still have Texas and California out. Mm -hmm. uh, the other big winner, black voters across the South, starting in South Carolina, which pulled Joe Biden out of his collapse and gave him that Joe-mentum that people yeah. are talking about now. Uh, big losers. The biggest, I think, is Elizabeth Warren. She ran third in her home state of Massachusetts wow. behind Joe Biden, who came from way back and is winning and has been projected now to win Massachusetts. That's in addition to the states that Paul Dudley just mentioned. Another big loser, I think, is Mike Bloomberg. As I like to say, the bloom is off the Bloomberg mm. tonight. It's just not working for him. Uh, $500 million, and he's got 12 delegates to show for wow. him. Is there uh, any there's, way there's that word he can that he's, rally? Actually, no. I think the word that we're hearing now, the AP and others are quoting sources that Bloomberg is going to reassess his whole campaign yeah. in the next few days. And if he pulls out, he'll probably either back Joe Biden or, you know, just say nothing. But that would help Biden because he was clearly yeah. a moderate candidate. Um, so the, 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 the party is coalescing, it seems, right now behind Joe Biden. But mm -hmm. we've seen 
In the past, it's a roller coaster. You know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, people were writing Joe Biden's political obituary. Then mm -hmm. South Carolina happened. All of a sudden, he's got the momentum, and Sanders is underperforming in most states except for California. How was it that South Carolina kind of really set the standard for how black voters were going to go for Joe Biden? Well, first of all, yeah, when you look at the states that vote before South Carolina, there aren't a lot of black voters in those states. Yeah. Iowa and New Hampshire. White yeah. states. You get to the South, you get black voters, and then you get a more diverse electorate. And not only did Joe Biden carry South Carolina, but he carried it even bigger than he thought he would. Mm -hmm. And that gave him that momentum. I did hear a lot of conversation or see a lot of conversation online about the age of the voters who are turning out to the polls. That yes. Bernie was really counting on young voters Sanders, to get out. And, and it didn't happen. Didn't if happen. you look at the votes cast today, according to the AP, only 13% of the votes cast today came from people 30 and under. 64% of the votes cast today were from people 45 and older. Mm -hmm. That's significant. Very significant. And that's Joe, Biden, that's Joe Biden's core. Older black voters and older white Democrats. Yeah, but we're also now down to Texas, which is also a state with a lot of delegates. Oh, you're looking at black voters and Latino, Latino voters as well. Yes. Um, who's the other thing, yeah, looking at what we're seeing so far in Texas, Bernie Sanders was hoping to win Texas by at least 10 percentage points. Mm -hmm. he's, he's leading it, but only by about five or five and a half percentage points. Biden's running a strong second there. So we can see the split? I don't know if it's going to flip, but it's going to be a lot closer than uh, Bernie Sanders and his supporters hoped it would be. They were hoping for a big win in Texas. They were hoping to keep Biden under 15 percent and get all of California's 400 plus delegates. I don't think that's going to happen. But California, either. we are seeing Bernie in the lead there. So he's going to win. He's going to carry California. He's going to mm -hmm. run first, mm -hmm. but he's not going to get all of them. All right. Clancy Dubos, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll continue, of course, to follow the developments from Super Tuesday throughout the show. Don't forget. you. And there you have it again. Um, blacks. And you hear the analysis, hey, what happened before February of 2020, before South Carolina? Well, you were getting results from states that didn't have a lot of black voters. But then you got South Carolina and you got Super Tuesday going throughout the South. And the same old, he knows what he said. The younger voters are only 13% of what turned out. The older voters, the 45 and up, the black voters. So this is basically the traditional Democrat Negroes. K-N-E-E hyphen G-R-O-W-S, who I guess you could say to their credit, threw off the more progressive um, knuckleheads that were out there because they really didn't have a message. They just were further to the, they were just competing to be who could be further left and decided to go with the devil that they knew, for lack of a better term. And Joe Biden is indeed proving to be a devil but not one that they knew as well as they thought they did. They, they, they didn't know him. Despite all that, that wasn't enough. And the Democrat Party knew it wasn't enough, which is why in October of 2020, um, right before the election, Joe Biden said the following. This is after he had, I believe it was after he had said, you know what, if you don't know uh, whether or not I'm for you, uh, more than uh, Donald Trump, then you're not black or you ain't black. Even after that, he made the most interesting Freudian slip. It would be a Freudian slip if the man wasn't so demented that he just tells the truth without really knowing it. He said this in October, right before the vote. Secondly, we're in a situation where we have put together and you guys did, did it for our administration, the President Obama's administration before this. We have put together, I think, the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud 
organization in the history of American politics. Yes, Virginia, the senile unwittingly tell the truth at times that are not necessarily convenient. You could have tried to dismiss this as some type of a gaffe. It wasn't a gaffe. The evidence is there. Um, The idea that Joe Biden did not know that there was going to be voter fraud is a little bit on the laughable side. The idea that he was supposed to say it out loud, well, that probably wasn't supposed to happen, but people knew that was going to be laughed off. Joe says so many things, he's not serious. But the thing is, blacks are responsible for this because not only were blacks responsible for keeping this campaign going when it should have died in, uh, in 2019, they were part and parcel of all of the voter fraud in Georgia, pulling suitcases of votes out from under tables when no when um, GOP uh, observers were not around to see them counting votes in Philadelphia and Pencil and Pennsylvania, keeping uh, people from being able to see the counting of the votes. All this stuff. You can go to Wayne County in Michigan. You can go to all these places. Everywhere there was a significant place, Milwaukee and Wisconsin, yes, of course, if there was a majority or plurality of the vote that was black, then blacks were involved in the voter fraud, the election fraud. You will not convince me otherwise. So everything, you can start with Afghanistan and start counting backwards from Afghanistan uh, through the, to the shutdowns, to the vaccinations, to the, now, of course, the interesting with the vaccinations is blacks are all pro-vaccine. Uh, at least, the, at least the political blacks are all pro-vaccine, but only thirty percent of black folks have bothered to take that poison. Okay, but eviction moratoriums and uh, shutting down of businesses, uh, inflation, and being back. Uh, becoming energy dependent again, uh, having job growth go away so that blacks who at one time were seeing record low unemployment under Trump are now seeing numbers that they're more accustomed to when Democrats are in charge and the gap between white and black unemployment is widening back to its quote-unquote more traditional um, numbers as Democrats continue to be in charge. All this is the fault of black folks. Black Democrats, yes. But it's all, without blacks participating in rescuing a demented candidate, without blacks participating materially in the voter fraud that we now know has occurred, it's been demonstrated, we know it's occurred, we would not have Joe Biden. Now, would we have had Donald Trump? I don't think so. Because the voter fraud was that extensive. The election fraud was that extensive. But we wouldn't have had this guy. And if nothing else, I don't believe that the other ones would have been as tone deaf and blatantly insulting to the American people as to leave American citizens stranded in a war in a war torn country with no way out and leave them in the hands of an enemy that we have been at war with for 20 years that's just terrible 
But that's the fault of black people. I lay it there. Let me move on to a different topic. Um, Well, over in Texas, we have reason to celebrate uh, as their as the law that they passed uh, as, that was signed into uh, or enacted back in May has now become something that the Supreme Court has said, let it breathe. Let's see what happens. So let's go back and see what happened in May in Austin, Texas, with the governor uh, signing the heartbeat bill. Our creator endowed us with the right to life. The governor celebrated signing the bill on Twitter. And yet, millions of children lose their right to life every year. The heartbeat bill banning abortion as early as six weeks when a heartbeat can be detected and changing how it would be enforced, allowing any private citizen to sue an abortion provider, someone who doesn't need to be connected to a patient or even live in Texas. Anyone who successfully sues can collect a minimum of $10,000, and abortion clinics sued unjustly cannot recover legal fees. I'm disappointed that Governor Abbott would sign this bill. Abortion proponents vow to fight in court again, regardless how this bill is written or enforced. I mean, this is clearly an unconstitutional bill. So yes, Texans and advocates in Texas will be fighting to make sure that this doesn't go into law. But as the governor signed the heartbeat bill, Rebecca Parma with Texas Right to Life was in this crowd, prepared for the coming legal fight and watching Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban already headed to the Supreme Court. We don't mind going to the courts and working through that process um, in order to ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. That's really important to the, the overall legal strategy. The governor's critics have also latched onto the difference of a COVID mask rule eased on a Tuesday, getting government out of people's lives and then government involvement in people's lives on a Wednesday. You obviously don't see that dichotomy, do you? We're protecting life and we're protecting the right to life. And that's a fundamental right. Um, And it's the government's role to step in to protect people's lives. A government role headed again to challenges in court. In Dallas, I'm Kevin Reese. Well, that must seem pretty harsh to the left. Uh, After six weeks, heartbeat has been detected. Uh, Can't abort. And not only that, if you do try... Um, there are harsh penalties, and they even are paying people to be vigilantes to narc you out, to go narc on folks and let them know, hey, you tried to abort somebody. Okay. And, um, man, that's that, that must seem pretty harsh. Of course, I don't know if it's any more harsh than dismembering a child in the womb and taking it out piece by piece. I don't think it's that harsh. But I'm sure those on the left uh, will have a problem with this, and they did. And they fought, and they thought the Supreme Court was going to put a stay on it and take it up and, you know, deal with it. And they did not. The Supreme Court basically said, you know what? You're on your own. You have other ways of dealing with this. We're not going to bail you out. And so it goes into effect. Now, the interesting thing is... There's more to this than you would think from an abortion perspective. Even before this new law, it was difficult to get an abortion in Texas. The state is nearly 270,000 square miles, but Planned Parenthood only had 11 clinics there. In Texas, it's often a several week wait before you can get your first appointment just because of the already limited number of health centers that provide this care. People will now have to drive an average of nearly 250 miles to get an abortion, likely out of state, according to the Guttmacher Institute. 
The cost of gas alone for the trip would take three hours to earn at minimum wage. And that's just one way. And they look at us and say, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to travel? How am I going to get there? I can't do that. You have to help me. And there's nothing that we can do to help them, unfortunately. The number of women who now qualify for abortions will likely plummet. A 2018 survey showed that of 600 people seeking abortion, only 16 percent were less than six weeks into pregnancy by the time of their abortion appointment. But Dr. Kumar says demand is high. Tuesday before Senate Bill 8 went into effect, I saw close to 60 patients. Just for comparison today, I'm only seeing three patients that qualify for an abortion in Texas. So um, the rest of the patients that we typically would see are going to be referred out of state. But many of Texas's neighbors also have tough abortion restrictions. Louisiana requires ultrasounds 24 hours before an abortion procedure. Oklahoma has a similar rule and also forces patients to get state-directed counseling 72 hours before the procedure can occur. In Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Kansas, they all have their own state restrictions. It is not a situation in any of our region where you can just make a decision and go quickly or even the same day to get that care. You have to plan ahead. And of course, for patients from Texas, that also means planning travel, planning child care, taking time off of work. The fear and confusion is palpable for many patients. Patients have been asking if abortion is still legal for months Ever since this law was signed um, by the Governor Abbott in May, uh, people in the state of Texas have been confused and afraid, um, worried that they may have already lost their right to an abortion. So we've been fielding lots of phone calls um, from patients uh, for months now. But for anti-abortion rights activists, the new law achieves the goal, making abortions harder to get. Right now, the Texas Heartbeat Act is in effect. And so this is a historic moment. This is the First time we've seen this happen. This is a great law that is is going to save many lives here in the great state of Texas. Anti-abortion advocates have been clear about seeking to replicate the Texas law in other states. This is not the final word on Texas's law. A challenge to it is still pending in the lower courts. But in the meantime, hurdles for people who want abortions in Texas just got much higher. Bear something in mind in Texas. There were only like, what, I think they said 11? 11 places, 11 clinics in all of Texas. Texas is a big place. And you notice the other thing that they said about uh, other th- other um, states in the region. They talked about Mississippi. They talked about Louisiana and Arkansas. Interesting thing about Mississippi, in 2017, 99% of Mississippi counties had no clinics that provided abortions. That's 2017. of Mississippi women lived in those counties. Here is the point. You are so worried about overturning Roe v. Wade. The American people have pretty much already done that. If you're not in a blue state, good luck trying to find nearby places to go kill a child in the womb. There aren't that many. And that's because that's what the American people think of abortion. Miss me with all the stuff they put on television. Miss me with CNN. Miss me with MSNBC. Miss me with the Democrat Party propaganda. When you go out into the country, you're not going to see Planned Parenthood everywhere except in blue states and except in mostly neighborhoods of color. That's how the American people feel about abortion. And that's what the left does not choose to tell you. I find that fascinating. So I love how they keep talking about, you know, women have a right to an abortion. Um, The American people do not believe you have a right to an abortion to the point where they're going to go out of their way to make sure that you can exercise it. 
they value children's lives more than women's convenience. There's not a, I mean, you know, there's, there's a, I mean, you can find a McDonald's anywhere. You're not going to find an abortion clinic in that many places, particularly in the heart of this country. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's not just Texas. Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, South Carolina, other, other states, including states where the governors who signed these restrictions on abortion into law are women, Republican women. You have to bear this in mind that this is not just the, was the right wing. I said, no. The American people do not like the idea of killing innocent unborn children before they can even get a chance to take their first breath. That's not something that the United States of America as a whole wants to be known for. The lie that continues to be told is that it is compassionate for women to leave them with the ability to kill and to do so without any accountability. And the way the American people have dealt with that is basically say, we're just going to take away your ability and not worry about your accountability. It's a good thing. And with that, we're going to close out our one and we'll be back in a few minutes. Well, as soon as we can, with our two of Black Man Thinking. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O News this hour from townhall.com. I'm Rich Thomason. An unnamed U.S. official says that for the first time, an American citizen and family members have escaped Afghanistan via an overland route into a neighboring country. The official telling the AP the individuals were met by American embassy staffers at the border. And claiming to have completed its takeover of Afghanistan, the Taliban says it has defeated rebel fighters in the Panjshir Valley north of Kabul. They are among the worst of the worst. A half dozen Palestinian inmates escaping a maximum security prison in northern Israel. Israeli authorities are searching for the six prisoners because they are some of the most dangerous prisoners in Israel. They are members of the Islamic Jihad and other groups. Four of these six prisoners are facing life sentences and have been known to actively launch violent incidents against Israel and Israelis. That's correspondent Lori Kelman in Tel Aviv. The coronavirus proving an implacable foe. At a July 4th celebration on the White House South Lawn, the president declared that the U.S. was emerging from the darkness of the coronavirus pandemic. We're closer than ever to declaring our independence from a deadly virus. But the summer optimism quickly faded as the Delta variant took hold. Now, two months later, COVID hospitalizations and deaths are rising and some vaccinated Americans are getting infected. Later this week, the president will lay out the next steps his administration will take to deal with the pandemic. Greg Clugston, 
Washington. Tens of thousands of people who were forced to flee South Lake Tahoe, California last week, head of the raging Caldor wildfire, have been returning home, but authorities are warning them to remain vigilant as the fire is down, but not yet out. It has charred more than 215,000 acres. More on these stories at townhall.com. Hi folks, I'm Watson Prenier, the host of Battle for Freedom. The show airs Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check me out on Battle for Freedom, where I'm triggering change one heartbeat at a time. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Peter Serafin from Liberty Lighthouse takes a moment to thank Governor Wolf from Pennsylvania for all that he's done for this COVID-19 crisis. Thank you for keeping COVID out of our nursing home. Wait, you didn't do that. I'll skip to the next one. Thank you for protecting small business. You didn't do that either. Thank you for making sure our unemployed workers were able to receive their benefit. Thank you for being ever present to deal with... Thank you for leading by example. Oh, thank you for working with the legislature to get things. Thank you for common sense travel restrictions. Oh, good Lord. Thank you for using science to establish restaurant guidelines. Ah, dang it! At least we have sports. We can enjoy watching a couple hours of high school athletics and forget all of the craziness for a short Seriously, this is getting ridiculous. Liberty Lighthouse, Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Mojo 5.0. Supply chain disruptions, shortages, panic buying. Unfortunately, they've all become facts of life in 2021. The good news is you have preparewithmojo50.com. Not only will you find emergency food supplies, also water filtration, air filtration, all sorts of other tools. Preparewithmojo50.com. If you want to keep food on the table, if you just want to maintain some sense of normalcy, preparewithmojo50.com is the answer. Give us your poor, your tired, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Mojo 50. children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. Black men thinking. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Black men thinking. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite 
in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Black men thinking. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Black men thinking. Thinking. Stanley Levy with our two of Black Man Thinking here on the vanguard of personal freedom, personal liberty, and personal responsibility, Mojo 5.0 Radio. So, I, uh, I have been telling people for as long as I can remember, U.S. education, U.S. public education is sucky at best. And the principal purpose of public education in the United States is to transfer taxpayer dollars from the wallets of parents into the coffers of unions with education being a byproduct maybe on occasion at best they and now it's gotten worse than that there is i mean there is not we've gone from education to indoctrination flat out and they're actually using parents money to teach their children to hate them they are teaching the parent they're teaching the children of american parents to hate the values that their parents have and the parents have been asleep at the switch that's the thing that is um actually more disturbing than anything else is the fact the parents have been asleep at the switch so recently in sacramento california uh, a, uh, a district called natomas there's a teacher at the Endercombe high school who finally got nabbed because uh, Project Veritas uh, just put him on camera and let him run his mouth. And he told all of his business. And the interesting thing is to me is the response. Now, don't get me wrong. Once everything came out, you know, parents showed up. There was a big school board meeting. The parents came out there and they just went, they went, to town on the school board. The school board ducked out the back door uh, before the meeting really, really was over. They just got tired of getting hammered. Uh, I can understand not wanting to get hammered. What I can't understand is your lack of accountability for what happened in that classroom. So here's the interesting thing: um, the school board tried to get a, you know, tried to step up after everything got exposed and indicate that they were going to. Um, take action against the teacher. And the Natomas Unified School District plans to fire an Intercom High School teacher who was filmed while speaking about Antifa and his plans for his students to become revolutionaries. It is a story that is getting a lot of attention. And ABC 10's Barbara Bingley has the details. Shame on you. And you should not be teaching. Dozens of Natomas Unified parents are voicing outrage over allegations that an AP history teacher attempted to indoctrinate students with Antifa ideals at Intercom High School. The left-wing movement against racism and fascism is known for using both nonviolent and violent militaristic tactics. Everybody in Sacramento is not okay with this. We don't want this in any district. Like 180 days to turn them into revolutionaries. How do you do that? How do you... The concern comes after this video surfaced online, filmed by the far-right activist group Project Veritas, which claims to investigate and expose corruption, often by filming people when they're unaware. This is just too much. Natomas Unified School District Superintendent Chris Evans wrote in a letter to parents Wednesday saying, A teacher at Intercombe High School was recorded sharing his educational approach that is disturbing and undermines the public's trust. Natomas Unified will be taking the legally required next steps to
to place the teacher on unpaid leave and fire the teacher. After the district's own investigation found, the teacher violated the district's political action guidelines. While some current and former students are expressing support for the teacher on social media, district officials say they've also received reports from students that the teacher in question believes students will move to the left as a result of his class. That is unacceptable, the statement says. To those who have felt uncomfortable at any time in the past three years, we apologize. We want you out now, not paid leave and not in a week or two now. And the teacher in question did not respond to ABC 10's request for comment. We have a link to the full statement from the district superintendent. You can find that at abc10.com slash links. Well, that letter and um, the announcement that they were going to take action to suspend and then um, terminate the employment of the teacher, that just didn't quite feed the bulldog. I'll just put it out there. It did not hit the spot with respect to how the community um, saw this thing. Um, That same day that that statement came out was when I believe you had the school board meeting where everyone unloaded, uh, parents unloaded on the the school board and the school board took five minute break uh, to run out of the room and then they came back, uh, took longer than five minutes for them to come back. Then they took another break, uh, said they were going to come back, and they uh, they did the um, Paul, the old Paul Simon song, 50 Ways to Leave Your School Board Meeting, and got the heck out of Dodge. Um, so that didn't work. The interesting thing to me is the day after that school board meeting, um, the superintendent of the Natomas uh, School Board uh, school district sat down with Project Veritas, which was very interesting. And the reason he's doing that is, of course, because the heat is on him and everyone else at that school board. Let me give you some other things because um, um, also that same day that he sat down with the uh, school board, uh, <laughs> a local um, affiliate came out with some information, more information about the teacher. Assignment stamped with the face of Kim Jong-un, followed by the word bomb. Various flags, posters, and political signage plastered throughout the room. Pictures KCRA 3 investigates obtained from a parent whose child was enrolled in Gabriel Geitz's AP government class. The parent wants to remain anonymous, but told us about conversations their child had with Geitz in which they felt singled out. Quote, he has his platform as the teacher to deliver his message and to say what he wants to say to the class. But when confronted about it in a private conversation, he retracts it. Every student in that class got his message. If something doesn't directly affect you, your opinion doesn't expletive matter. End quote. Following an investigation into Gype's teaching methods, the school district decided to put him on leave after a video was released in which Gype is heard talking about teaching students his political ideologies. Natomas School District Superintendent Chris Evans. Students were asked to put their photo up on a, a quad chart based on where their ideology was. It had a Soviet Union flag up there. It had other flags forcing students at the age of 17, maybe some 18, to publicly state what their ideology was. That's completely inappropriate. Evans confirms some of the materials were purchased by Gype in late April or early May of this year. But the superintendent also stated 
It's unclear how long these posters have been on the classroom wall. They've since come across a photo taken by a site administrator during a visit to Gipe's classroom in 2018. According to Evans, there was a political poster the administrator failed to see. I suspect that we have more professional development to do for administrators. There's a lot to learn, and, and sometimes things will be missed. That clearly was. And, and we've done nothing but own and apologize uh, for that. The parent we spoke with also said a previous student told their child, quote, Guy did nothing to prepare his students to do well on the AP exam at the end of the year, end quote. Many of them stating none of them received, quote, higher than a three on the exam, which is the lowest score you can get and still gain some college credit, end quote. Evans isn't aware of any previous complaints made against the teacher. We've checked emails. We've checked with our constituent and customer service office. Uh, if there were complaints and we missed it, you will absolutely see me own it, apologize. And then we're going to have to adjust some systems to make sure that that's not the case. However, if that's not accurate and people can't produce that, then that needs to be corrected. The, the superintendent is just precious. You know, uh, we need to own it. We've done nothing but own it. We're going to own it. And, um, you know, we, you know, we have some professional development to do. Stop. Wait a minute. Let's get this straight. The guy sucked so much as a teacher that his students were getting the lowest possible grades in an AP class that got them college credit. And you didn't know about this. What do you do at the school board? What, what, what is your system? Oh, you had someone going into the classroom to take a, an administrator into the classroom, took a look around and missed a political poster in the, really? What do you guys do? And don't get me wrong, I'm not bagging so much on this particular uh, superintendent. You could do that for every school superintendent, probably in the state of California and throughout the country. What is it that you guys do exactly? How are you exactly ensuring that that parents are getting a quality um, return on their investment? How are you monitoring things? And how is it that this can go on for how, how is this guy who can't teach, who doesn't get results, I know what the issue is, the issue is unions, but how is it that this goes on for years and nobody says anything to the point that the guy now comes out straight up Antifa and is un- indoctrinating children, yeah, they're still children, they're in high school, they're still children, indoctrinating children against the values of their parents, against the values of the country, Wow. Where were you? Because you say you don't share these values. You say what he did was against your policy, but your policy is clearly not being enforced. So, again, where were you? Let me make this clear to the parents of K-12 through school children who are in a position where the best thing for them to do for their for their financial and family situations is to patronize, I'll use that word, public education. You're getting screwed. And not only are you getting screwed financially, they are stealing your children and turning them against you to the point where they do not trust you, they do not care for you, they think you're idiotic, they think you're racist, they think everything negative that you can think about someone despite the fact that they provide for your care and feeding. That's what the schools are doing. 
and you've not taken action against this, and you're expecting these um, these lightweights who are serving as school administrators and as school board members to do something about it. And the one thing I did not hear during that school board meeting, because I listened to a good pe- pe- portion, excuse me, a good piece of that school board meeting that happened in Natomas, and the one thing I did not hear is, where's your re- resignation? talking to the school board. You need to resign. Why are you here? This went on under your nose for years and your best reaction is we're going to take action against the teacher years after the fact. This should never have occurred and for you to come and try to tell and try to, you know, tell me how you're going to handle it after the fact, that's not good enough. You'd be fired from your job if that was what happened. And I didn't hear anybody calling for a resignation. This is my problem with the parents of today. You still are no less indoctrinated than your children if when someone comes ideologically for your children, your response is to leave them in place. You can't do that. These clowns should have been taken out that night. You should have basically demanded your resignations need to be in place in the morning. And, they, and if they didn't respond to that, then, of course, you go, you take whatever legal and, and other community means. But how do you allow the school board to remain in place and even show their face in your community when they sat there and allowed Antifa to come into an AP classroom, be there for years, not teach and indoctrinate your children and they're now saying oh we didn't know well then you can continue to not know I don't know someplace else EDD or somewhere else but you can't be here you can't be here I know homeschooling is going up across the country that's a good thing I know it's even going up uh, significantly among um, communities of color which is an even better thing But this playhouse needs to be burned down because at the end of the day, they're taking your money to undermine you. And until you extract your money from this process, either through school vouchers or some way to get the money out of the union hands and back into your own so that you can educate your children, you haven't done a thing. You haven't done anything. If they're still in place, if the unions are still in place, if they're still dictating educational policy, when you know that they do not teach, then you haven't done anything. And aren't we a little bit past this indifferent thing that we're... Are are we we a little bit past that and expecting this is going to be okay um, if we just leave it in the hands of the quote-unquote professionals? How's that working out, by the way? It's not. So, wow. Let me change topics here. I'm going to talk about it, and at the same time, I don't care about it. I'm going to talk about Afghanistan. And I've said some things about Afghanistan before. I'm going to say something else now. I don't care about Afghanistan. And when I say I don't care about Afghanistan, I do not care what happens in Afghanistan. I don't care if they throw homosexuals off roofs to their deaths. I don't care what they do to women in Afghanistan. I do not care. That's their country. 
how they want to do things in their country couldn't care less now what bothers me about Afghanistan is how Americans have reacted to their government and their military leaving 85 billion dollars worth of military equipment some of the most advanced military equipment on the planet they have not they left an arsenal of weapons that is the envy of quite a few NATO countries the Taliban now have more advanced military equipment than many NATO countries where's your reaction we are outraged uh huh okay the American government and the American military created a situation whereby a bomb could go off and kill 13 U.S. servicemen. Now remember, before these 13 died, there had not been a death of a military service member in Afghanistan since February of 2020. So guess what? During all the time of COVID, basically, there had not been anyone in Afghanistan who was in the military dying in combat because it just wasn't happening. And now all of a sudden, 13 are dead. And all I'm hearing is, well, Biden looked at his watch. This is an outrage. If I hear the word outrage one more time with respect to Afghanistan, because I don't... I don't care about the outrage. The outrage is... You didn't have... So, the fact that, that, that the U.S. military and the U.S. government are bringing Afghani, Afghani refugees back to the United States and giving them money when they get off the airport, feeding them, housing them for free. And oh, by the way, I love this part. Did you know that the same government and military who are telling you that ivermectin is just a horse dewormer and nobody should ever use it uh, to deal with COVID, even though that's a bald-faced lie. Guess what they're giving the Afghan refugees that they're transporting back to the United States to keep them safe from COVID? You guessed it, ivermectin. How come they're not, how come they're not um, giving them the vaccine? Why aren't we doing that? I mean, if it's good enough for American citizens, it surely should be good enough for refugees that we are are rescuing from a war-torn country. So why is it that they get ivermectin, which, by the way, doesn't really have any side effects? You know, ivermectin is is a World Health Organization essential medicine. Wide, very wide range of uses. COVID-19, both prophylaxis and treatment is among those um, uses. And there are studies to back that up. So why is the American government and the American military giving ivermectin to Afghani refugees but they, but but you can't get a, pharma, a pharmacist in the United States to fill a prescription for ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for that matter even though both of these have been proven to be very effective against this (laughs) against this virus 
outraged. We are outraged. We are shocked. We are ashamed of Joe Biden. We are. Let me help you out. Let me help you out with your outrage. Your outrage and a dollar will not buy a cup of coffee at a 7-Eleven. Your outrage and a dollar over the stolen election will not buy you a cup of coffee at a 7-Eleven. Your outrage over John Durham and his missing report, that and a dollar, I think you get the point. Outrage is not action. They have cowed you into inaction. And they've done it several ways. Well, you know, we'll take care of it in the next election. Now you know that elections are bogus. So, for example, out here in California, where there's a retocall election on the 14th of September, now we remember just, just uh, not even two years ago, Oh, heck, not even one year ago. Not even a year ago. We had election fraud on a scale that has never been seen in the United States and maybe not anywhere. This is going to be like 11 months after that. And if you think California. Let me make sure I, I say this clearly. I know people are going to be disagreeing. And oh, okay, let me help you out. Trump won California. Well, how, how could you say that? Because I'm not stupid. Because I know that cheating has been going on in California for a while. In 2018, Gavin Newsom lost Orange County, California, to John Cox, who had who didn't have a snowball's chance in the sun's corona of winning anything. He he lost he lost to John Cox in Orange County, but then everybody in Orange County decided to turn on a dime and vote for Democrats to represent them in Congress. And you think I'm going for that okey-doke? That was 2018. What do you think happened in 2020? And while you're saying that, remember this. Then, in 2020, and now, on 14 September 2021, 40 out of 58 counties in the state of California use the Dominion voting system to tally ballots in elections. And we've already had reports of people in Virginia and other states, probably every state in the union, has received a California recall ballot. And you think that election is going to be on the up and up? I'm not saying who's going to win. I'm telling you up front, no matter how it goes, it's going to be a crooked election. And it's been crooked in California for longer than you want to realize and your outrage about that and a cup of coffee do nothing afghan was about embarrassing the american military about 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 humiliating the american people and putting putting rubbing your nose in the failure that you have had since november of last year to do anything about these problems I suggest you get your act together before they make it so you can't do anything at all. Stanley Levy, Black Man Thinking, we'll be back right after this.
Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Believe it or not, when you aren't at home, you'll get some awesome comedy. At home or away, just pick up your phone. How can this be? Believe it or not, Room 13. Room 13 show is playing Saturdays at 9 a.m. Eastern on Mojo 50 or anytime on the Spreaker podcast app. This is a potter's field. When people can't pay for their funerals, they are buried here. It is a lonely, desolate place, littered with unmarked headstones. No one visits. No one leaves flowers. But it doesn't have to be that way. For as low as $1 a day, you can ensure your family will have the money to pay your funeral expenses. We offer burial insurance plans that pay up to $30,000. Considering the average funeral costs more than $10,000, that's peace of mind for your family. There are no medical exams, your rates won't increase, and your policy cannot be canceled as long as you make your premium payments. Call now to get approved in minutes and ensure your final resting place is more than just a pauper's grave in a potter's field. 800-562-2407-800-562-2407-800-562-2407. That's 800-562-2407. Paid for by Final Expense Direct. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them, and I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org, m25m.org. Final segment of the show. And if you thought you were going to get out of this without a COVID update, then you have another think coming. This is getting out of hand. Well, this has gotten out of hand. The thing is, they're pushing it even further out of hand. Let me go ahead and give you an idea just how ridiculous this has become. And it's been that way for most of the time you've been here as they quote unquote develop the non-existent science. So, for example, what is a COVID case? You can look that up and you will find different definitions of what a COVID case is, whether you're talking to the WHO, whether you're talking to China, and WHO meaning not the ban, but the World Health Organization, whether you're talking to the EU or the UK. There's just all these different definitions of what a COVID case is. Isn't that interesting? Everybody has their own definition. Where, where, where's, where's the science in that? Well, let's talk about what um, let's talk about what they say in America. This is a definition of a COVID case in America. At least two of the following symptoms: fever, measured or subjective. Oh, I don't even have to have measured fever. Okay. Now, two of the following symptoms, fever, chills, rigors, 
myalgia, headache, sore throat, new olfactory and taste disorders. So those symptoms mean you have COVID. Can they be for anything else? How about any respiratory, any upper respiratory virus you can you can think of? Or at least one of the following symptoms. This is not an and, this is an or. Or cough, shortness of breath, or difficulty breathing. Oh, COVID is the only thing that can cause that, right? Or severe respiratory illness with at least one of the following. Uh, clinical or radiographic evidence of pneumonia or acute respiratory distress syndrome. And, here's the and, here's the big thing, uh, no alternative, more likely diagnosis. That's subjective. So basically, if you feel bad and they can't think of anything else to call it or that they want to call it, you must have COVID. Now, there are library uh, laboratory criteria you have to have uh, laboratory evidence using an approved method by the U.S. FDA or designated authority, uh, laboratory evidence, uh, detection of uh, secu- a severe acute respiratory syndrome, uh, coronavirus, uh, two nucle- ribonucleic acid, so, so CARS, so, so in other words, COVID, COVID-19 RNA in a clinical specimen. But you can have all these symptoms and they'll just say you got COVID and they don't need anything. That's a case. Well, they're doing tests. Okay. And a test is a case. Here's the thing. Does the fact that you have a virus mean that it's making you ill? No. Does the fact that you have a virus mean that you need to be hospitalized? No. Does a positive test for... for let me make sure this, you got this clear. People are going into hospitals right now and everybody who goes near a hospital is tested for COVID. Even if that's not why they show up at the hospital and if they test positive for COVID either by, and they're not swabbing, oh, you got a temperature, and you, you have a sore throat, and you got a temperature, oh my God, yeah, you must have COVID. Really? And now that's listed as a COVID case. Okay. Here's my thing. There's no science to this. What they're calling COVID could be any number of things because they're not running tests. Haven't you wondered why, they, why we don't seem to have tests for the Delta variant? Where are the tests? Where are the clinical tests to show the Delta variant? How are you? How do you even know that it's a variant if you can't test for it? Okay. Let's move on to death. What is a COVID death? Go back to April of 2020, where David, where uh, Dr. Uh, Burks and Dr. Dr. Fauci on national TV basically said, we, are, we have decided that if you die with COVID, as far as we're concerned, that's a COVID death. You died of COVID. There's no difference between dying with COVID and dying of COVID. If you were in hospice care, then got COVID before you died, then what doesn't matter what, why you were in hospice care, COVID killed you. 
If you have been poisoned, I'm not making this stuff up. CDC publishes these comorbidities. If you were, if you have been poisoned or suffered an accident, you fell off a building or something, you're in a car wreck, whatever, and we found out that you actually had COVID, we are considering yours a COVID death. And the CDC is out there telling you that 95% of those that they claim are COVID death had two or three other comorbidities, and they have a long list of comorbidities, a long table of things that aren't even medical illnesses, and quite a few that are. And they're all deadly. 95%. You know what that means? That means that 19 out of every 20 that they're telling you died from COVID likely died from something else. Because all they had was a suspicion, maybe a test result. And remember, they had to abandon the PCR test because it wasn't clear that that was giving you good results. So we don't know how many cases we had until they changed the test because the test was whack. But be that as it may, if 19 out of 20 that they claim died from COVID did not die from COVID, then instead of 620, 630, 640,000, you know what we're looking at? We're looking at somewhere between 30,500 and 32,000 dead from COVID. That's a terrible number. You get that you get that and more every year from the flu, which has magically disappeared now that COVID has come on the scene. A lot of things have mag- magically disappeared now that COVID has come on the scene. Pneumonia has disappeared. The flu has disappeared. Heart attacks have disappeared. Renal failure has disappeared. Hypertension has disappeared. Everything has disappeared. If you die in America and you don't feel well, they are going to say you died from COVID and they still couldn't get but 600,000 with that line. This is how bad it is. You're being lied to and you're so you're soaking up the lies because you just don't have any spine anymore. You don't. Because this is blatant. It's not even these aren't even good lies. That's the part that's getting to me. The, the lies aren't even good. And of course, they're pushing this vaccine. You know what? If everybody gets vaccine, you can see it everywhere on TV, on social media, on the internet, anywhere you want to look. Uh, vaccines save lives. Really? Okay. Vaccines are safe and effective. Really? Let's talk about that for a minute. I've been tracking the um, HHS VAERS database since May. There are other databases that even have more egregious information. But I just track this one just so I can be consistent. I'm just comparing apples to apples, even if the apples aren't necessarily the white species, for lack of a better term. So let's talk about what the VAERS database, and VAERS stands for Vaccine Adverse Event Recording or Reporting System. I looked at the last three years, including this one, so 2019, 2020, and 2021. Here's what I know. According to this database, in 2019, adverse events were reported for 126 different vaccines. Flu, hepatitis, you name it, whatever. 126 different viruses, I mean vaccines. 
in 2020, there were 123 vaccines. Now, in, uh, now in 2019, none of the vaccines that people had uh, adverse events with were COVID. There were no COVID vaccines in 2019. Of the 123 in, two, in 2020, well, there were two COVID vaccines. They didn't show up until the last couple of weeks, but they actually made it into the ones that, um, well, did damage. And this year, there have only been 57 vaccines that people have reported anything against. Find that interesting. What about the number of events? In 2019, you had 48,444 events. In context, there's no context there. It doesn't mean anything. The next year, uh, 2020, you had 47,579 reported events. That's less. But more than 10,800 of them, or two out of nine, (laughs) were COVID. Were COVID events from two vaccines that were only available in the last half of the month of December. And this year, through the 23rd of August, you have had 512,093 adverse events reported. Let me put that back in perspective. You had 48,000, about one-eleventh. Well, about, let's just say the less than a tenth of that number is what you saw in all of 2019. Less than a tenth of that number is what you saw in all of 2020. 47,000, 48,000. Right now we're looking at 512,000. Well, yeah, that's terrible, but how many of those are COVID? Are you trying to say COVID did all that? COVID did 97.7% of that. Because the database identifies things by VAERS ID and you can track that to a vaccine type and you can even track it to a manufacturer. Wow. Let's talk about deaths. 183 deaths in 2019. Okay. There were only 166 deaths in 2020. Of course, 16 of those were actually COVID. That's interesting. It took them two weeks to kill the first 16 people with the COVID vaccine. They didn't even they couldn't even go two weeks without killing somebody. Isn't that interesting? What about this year? For all vaccines this year through August twenty-third of twenty twenty-one, you have had six thousand four hundred and eighty-four people dead from vaccine adverse events. Wow, that's a bit, but 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 uh, COVID didn't do all of that. No, COVID did not do all of that. COVID did not do 6,484 deaths. They're not reporting deaths, uh, 6,484 for COVID. They're only reporting 6,280. 96.9% of all the deaths from vaccine adverse events reported to HHS are for COVID vaccines. How bad is that? Well, 625 dead are from Johnson. 2,867 are dead from Moderna. 2,760 died after Pfizer. 
The remainder are simply unknown. They don't know which vaccine. They didn't. They didn't get. They didn't get the. As they say, they didn't get the license plate of that particular truck. Does that? Does it? Please explain to me how that's safe and effective. I have one. One type of vaccine that has more adverse reactions in eight months than other than 126 vaccines and 123 vaccines had in a year not only more but 10 times more but that's safe how is that safe and what about open open vares even has more stuff as a result of the vaccine openvares.com which looks at covid data uh, through the 23rd of august 13,911 deaths, 56,912 hospitalizations, 6,200 heart attacks, 5,200 cases of myocarditis and and pericarditis, 1,700 miscarriages, 18,000 permanently disabled and life-threatening injuries to 14,328. Oh, let's go back to the CDC because the CDC has has, has been tracking a breakthrough. You know what a breakthrough case is? After you've been vaccinated and you're supposedly protected from COVID-19, you get it anyway. And they didn't just deal with those. They talked about, well, let's talk about um, hospitalizations and deaths among those people who have had breakthrough cases of COVID-19 after getting vaccinated. What are their numbers? Really? The dead? 2,437. That's this. That's wow. What about the hospitalized that didn't die? 8,987. Well, you know, uh, what, what about this? Uh, this, this, uh, we have this thing with the, with the unvaccinated. We have a pandemic of the unvaccinated. No, you don't. Cases don't matter. Hospitalizations matter. Deaths matter. Well, people are getting, they're, they're taking over. They got unvaccinated people in, uh, in, in, in hospitals. They're taking up all the space. Are they sick? Did they go to the hospital for COVID? No. And you have people, this is interesting. So the vaccines are neither safe nor are they effective. CDC has come out and made it very clear. If you've been vaccinated, you still need to wear a mask and you still need to social distance, even though the reason that you were told to get a vaccine was so you could return to, return to a normal life and you didn't need to social distance and you didn't need a mask because you were not a threat to anyone. Now you're a threat to everyone if you have been vaccinated. You haven't figured that out yet, huh? The vaccines are neither safe nor effective. These are scientific claims. But where's the data that they are presenting to the public that these vaccines are either either safe or effective? I haven't seen any data. I've just seen people looking into a camera and lying. The data says, show the data. Well, you know, you're not an expert. Well, they're wrong. So if I'm not an expert, but they're supposedly experts and they're wrong. 
Why should I allow my lack of expertise to make me to listen to somebody who is wrong? Because this does not prevent infection or transmission of the of the virus. Did you know in Israel, the Israel, in Israel breakthrough cases are 50%, have exceeded 50%. What are you what are you trying to tell me? That half of the folks who are vaccinated are getting COVID. Well, it must be it must be the variant, the variant that they can't test for, the variant that they haven't isolated. The, what variant? Oh my gosh! Well, Delta, okay, that's an airline. What are you talking about? You don't have anything. Sixty-four percent of the COVID dead in the UK are vaccinated people, had at least one injection. 43% were fully vaccinated. 64% had at least one. And now we're finding out that if you've recovered from COVID and you went and got the vaccine, guess what you can now get? You can get COVID-19 all over again. You can get COVID-19 all over again and end up hospitalized and dying over something that your body already knew how to fight because you went and got a vaccine. Guess if you still want to call it a vaccine. You're free to do that if you want. It's not. This is not science. This is not even medical science. You want to deal with medical science starting in 2005 when they found out that chloroquine, which is a more uh, dangerous to humans uh, form of hydroxychloroquine. Go back to 2005 when they learned that, uh, that chloroquine destroys coronaviruses. It destroyed coronavirus one. Well, that was just in a test tube. You are absolutely correct. It was in a test tube. But that's what the Chinese decided to try when this broke out in their country. They started with chloroquine. They had an expert consensus. You can find it on the NIH website. Expert consensus about how about how to use chloroquine to fight corona, what they call coronavirus or COVID-19 pneumonia. They had a consensus. 500 milligrams of chloroquine twice a day for 10 days. They did a study. It got published. They did another study within within uh, you know less than a month uh, after that one, where they proved they looked at they looked at hydroxychloroquine against SARS-CoV-2 as well, or against COVID-19. And you know what happened? A month after that, because remember they they went from zero to eighty thousand cases back when eighty thousand was a lot of cases in about six weeks. But by and that was like from January to March. By April, they had zero local transmission of COVID nineteen, and 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 there's there's two studies about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine sitting out there in the public domain, and you don't know about them. Why don't you know about them? I have no idea. Because you don't read. You 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 trust American TV news. I don't know why you would do that. Don't understand that at all. The issue is political. This is not scientific. How is it scientific to say that face masks, whom 
uh, or which the manufacturers thereof tell you right there on the packaging these don't stop jack how does that become a major weapon in against the spread of disease when they don't work when the manufacturers of cloth mat cloth face masks tell you it doesn't work if you're not pulling out an N95 then you're not getting anything done and most people are not even thinking about spending money on an N95 and these face masks that most people are buying they don't seal to the face oh I got my face shield on as though air cannot flow around your your plexiglass fake shield while you look like some type of Star Wars character you look silly and it doesn't work well they might provide some protection they said the studies provide evidence to say I said you know what if you can smell smoke if you can smell food through your mask know this those things that can stimulate your nose are much larger than coronavirus And if you can't stop those smells from getting in, guess what else isn't being stopped from getting in? Well, it might block some droplets. Like I said, if you can smell it, you ain't blocking it. And if because if it was blocked, it would be caught up in the mask and you wouldn't be able to smell it. Now, would you? And you're going for that okie doke. Yeah, I gotta wear my rat mask to go to a restaurant. Then you take the then you take the mask off to actually eat in the restaurant. So I guess the, I, I, I guess I guess um, coronavirus is like the rides at Disneyland or something. You know, you gotta be you gotta be this high to ride this ride. Because as soon as you set up for the table, if you sit down at the table, you're not you're not tall enough while you're sitting down to ride COVID. You're not riding COVID if you're sitting down. But if you're standing up, you are now tall enough to ride the COVID ride. And that makes sense to people. While all you've done is compromise your economy, compromise your livelihood, compromise, or you actually thrown away what you had that masqueraded as common sense. I go back to that one thing. Why are you asking people who've already had COVID and recovered to take a vaccine? Well, they may they may not have uh, they 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 may not have uh, protection against this variant. Let me ask you a question. Why don't you sit there and see if they have a if, if they have immunity to COVID one, which came out in two thousand two? Because COVID one and COVID two are at least seventy two percent DNA identical. So why don't you give that to them? And if they're if 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 they've recovered from from SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, well then I can get whatever the original was. And if they don't get SARS-CoV-1, what is it about this Delta variant for which you cannot test that is so significantly different with no data to show how different it is from from SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 which you call COVID-19? What makes you think that they don't have immunity to all of it? They do have immunity against all of it. You're making them take a vaccine 
which now produces the spike protein or teaches their body to produce the spike protein and then takes that capability and distributes it all throughout their body and you wonder why they're having problems even after they had beaten COVID-19. Who does that? There's no, there's no science for that. And since when do we consider people who have recovered from something and built up immunity a risk to anyone else? Everybody's not a carrier. Everybody's not typhoid Mary. If you've gone through this and you're, you do not transmit unless you're a carrier. And that's not a common thing. That's not science. The science argues something totally different. And since when do we vaccinate children against something that does, that does not threaten them? Throughout the world, age 0 through 10, or under the age of 10, age 0 through 9, can't find anyone in the world who's died from coronavirus. Not one person. Why would I then vaccinate them against this pandemic when it doesn't kill them? And to be honest with you, they don't even get sick. And we've had a bunch of studies would say that they really don't transmit it. They're not, they're not the ones who are getting people sick. Why are you doing this? And the propaganda continued to say that vaccinations, which are not safe, which are not effective, are the only way or the principal way we need to do what we need to do to get past this pandemic for a pathogen that has a 99.9x percent survival rate. You, and you're going for that. And now the double vaxxed are going to be treated like uh, the unvaxxed. You need to get triple vaxxed. That's what they're doing in Israel. That's what they're going to start doing throughout Europe. They're coming for you too because you don't understand that they're not after your safety. They're after your liberty. They're after your freedom and they're after your prerogatives. You will no longer live as you wish. You will live as they want. And if you still valued freedom, you would have gotten rid of this stuff a long time ago. There's a weakness going on in America that needs to be dealt with. And that's our show. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. And until next week, do take care. is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five-O.